welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, October the 10th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And we are going to be completing our examination of Neville Goddard's Awakened Imagination. And it's been an interesting journey, to say the least, because that book, uh, when you get past the rather quaint <laughs> verbiage the way that it's written and you and you decode it with your uh, decoder ring thank goodness Cindy has one uh it's actually <laughs> it's actually a pretty fascinating uh set of ideas that he presents but it, you, you do have to kind of dig to get into the middle of them don't you I think so I think there has to be a certain level of uh, determination <laughs> yes that's a good <laughs> word get it, but it's I, I think it's been well worth it and um we've you know we have dug up a lot of really interesting ideas and powerful concepts. And I mean, mm. they've been useful to me. So. Oh, me too. I, I mean, well, this morning, uh, like I was saying during the earlier podcast, uh, I actually got the first clear explanation of what Abraham's expansion concept is all about, which is interesting because we weren't even reading Abraham, but Neville made it right? clear with the way he did it, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of the things that I notice more and more and the, and it always, goes in alignment with my own practice, right? Like as, as often as I am applying my thought processes and making sure that I go for alignment and use the tools that I know and all of that, um, the more I do that, the more always synchronicities that I see in my life. And my, uh, my other half, <laughs> is not impressed anymore. So when something happens, I go, look at this. And it's like, not impressed. It's like, what? It's like, not just not impressed. That's just how you roll. So it's like, you're going to have to get up to eight or nine or 10 synchronicities a day for me to be impressed. I'm still impressed. You've set a high standard. That's the thing. Well, you know, what I noticed is that this morning we were in Neville and, and this whole week that we've been in Neville which is, I don't, the word that you used a minute ago, I've already forgotten, but quaint, I think you said. Quaint, yes. <laughs> and, right, and some of the language is like, like nobody is going to speak like this. And no. these ideas seem kind of buried under layers of philosophy and poetry and religion mm. and all these things. And we've been excavating them. <laughs> yes, good word. <laughs> and then, and then, like this, this idea with Abraham, that seemed so synchronous with what we were talking about. And yet it's, it's the same and yet different. Mm -hmm. And this has been happening for the past couple of days. Everywhere I look, everyone I read, um, I keep hearing the same ideas that fit right in with what we're reading. And yet they're from sources that are nothing like this. And it's amazing to me. It is. I mean, it, it actually shouldn't surprise us because we know that's what the law of attraction delivers to us. But you're right. I mean, every time that's one of the fun things about synchronicities, because even though you know that they're coming, they're still fun because you don't expect which you know which direction they're going to come from or you know where they're going to pop up, and that that's what makes it interesting. Right. Like I'll tell you one that happened, and it it wasn't connected to Neville, but I still think it was so much fun. And this is actually the one where he said, "Okay, I'm not impressed." I was like, "What?" <laughs> so you know the the new little product that I made. Yep. And in it, I have a bunch of. Um, hand-drawn journaling pages. And on the pages, I put some quotes. 
And I collect quotes and someone gave me a book that has 365 quotes. It's like one for every day with a little picture and a quote. Mm -hmm. And I will admit that I looked at it every day. It was a Christmas present or a Hanukkah present. And I looked at it every day in like January. <laughs> and, then I, and then I stopped, right? And it's sitting over on the table and I just hadn't looked anymore. Right. So I had been researching, but not in that book. Somewhere else I had been looking for some quotes and I found this quote that I really liked. Um, I'm trying to remember what the quote actually was. It had to do with, let me see, I've got my pages here. The quote said, forgiveness is the key to action and freedom. And I used that quote on one of these drawings that I made. I was sitting at the table surrounded by papers and all this stuff that was helping me and my pens and my paper. And that book was there because I had brought it out. I was like, maybe I could find some quotes in here. It's a mm -hmm. thick book. It's two inches thick, right? It's sitting there. But I never picked it up. I found this quote somewhere else. And I just finished hand inking the page with the quote on it. And I'm put my pen down. I'm just sitting there and I reach across the table. I pick up that book and I open it at random, like towards the middle. And that quote is on the page. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. See, that's <laughs> right? when it's really fun. That, that's when law of attraction just, you know, hits me between the eyes and it just feels good. Like, oh, there it is again, of course. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and I kind of have that sense of, oh, good. Like I, I picked a, a good quote for this. You yeah, know, it's sure. like the universe is giving me a little wave. Yeah. So I've been noticing that with the stuff that we've been pulling out of the Neville book. Mm. Um, just like all day long. It seems like everywhere I look, something pops up. So we'll have fun with that as we, as we go through. But I know that you have been making a point to do our promos early in the show. So I yes. wanted to yes, let's not take get too carried away before you do that. Well, we can get a little carried away. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but because that's, that, that's what we do. We get carried away. That's part of the fun around here, which well, is why it is fun. It is fun. That, that's why we want people to become subscribers because they, way they get to, to share in the fun and they get to, you know, they, we call it your daily dose of happy for a reason. We want people uh, to feel happier after they're done listening to each episode. And most of the time, I think we, we achieve that, uh, that goal, that objective. I think the evidence of it is how many people are subscribing. We keep getting more and more subscribers and it just keeps growing, which is wonderful. But if yes. you are one of our newer listeners and have not yet subscribed, well, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're just waiting because you don't really have, you know, you don't have the technical feel how to do it. Well, we've got you covered. We've got instructions written out for you step by step and they're pretty darn easy. All you have to do is go to the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net and it shows you, depending on what kind of device, Android or iPhone, it basically gives you one thing to click on. It takes you to a page where you say subscribe and you're done. I mean, it's that simple. Um, and then in addition to that, for all of our subscribers, both the new subscribers and the existing subscribers, especially the ones who have been with us for quite some time, um, we're asking all of them, all of you, to just take a moment each time you hear one of these episodes and post something in social media just saying you're listening to LOAToday.net. That is the most successful uh, promotional campaign we have ever done, and it's all because those of you who are helping us do that are doing it. And we're, we're so grateful to you for doing that. And our new listeners ought to be grateful to, them, to you, too, because 
you're the reason why they're finding us. So new listeners, a little applause, please, for the uh, listeners who've been with us for a while because they, they're they the ones who helped you find this thing. So, yeah, please uh, do subscribe and share and, and just you know mention LOAToday.net on your favorite social media channels so that more and more people can find it because, I mean, right now, hundreds of people know about us. We want to be up into the hundreds of thousands. And can you imagine a, a world city where millions of people know about the Daily Dose of Happy and are getting it and are, are applying it and, and, you know, using it in their lives and improving their lives thereby? Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, and I see that I know that energy entrains to itself. We talk about this, right? It's mm-hmm. the reason why when you walk into a room and, you know, there's a bunch of people that are sad, you immediately feel sad. It's the reason why you walk into a party where everybody's having a good time. And maybe if you weren't having such a great time, now you feel a little better. Um, our, whatever the dominant energy is, it's going to affect everyone around us because we're all connected. There is a, a field of energy. And so the happier we are, the more steps that we take to be in alignment, the more that affects not just our life, but everybody we're connected to. Very true. In fact, that first group. I totally love to imagine this, actually. The the biggest problem with that first group is they just haven't heard about your daily dose of happy. That's why they're so sad, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I say this a lot. I I feel like I'm the, uh, the apologist for emotions that don't feel good, but (laughs) you know, it's like all of our emotions are valid. And I want to be really careful to always, I think most people know where I stand that I don't ever want to judge emotions as bad. Um, they're all valid and important. Absolutely. But some of them feel much better than others, and those are definitely the ones that I want to shoot for. So. Me too. Yeah, actually, I had a direct experience with that today, with exactly what you're talking about. Um, you, you and I had been talking um, offline about some stuff that was going on in my life, and to kind of deal with that, I decided to just take a little time out uh, this morning, late this morning after the podcast, and just go out to uh, where my favorite place is to walk and go to one particular place on that walk because this time of year, um, mid to late morning, that little section of the walk is just like walking in paradise. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's shaded. There's a nice breeze. It's scented air. It's a mixture of of fall scent and sweet summer scent. Um, There's warmth on your skin. There's wildlife galore. Uh, you know, trees are just, the, the energy is just pouring out of the trees. I mean, literally, Cindy, at one point, I did a little thing where uh, Mike McEwen, you know, Anne-Marie's husband, Anne-Marie does the Sunday podcast with me. Uh, Mike is a Reiki master and teacher, and he taught me a really simple little uh, routine to, to do to uh, kind of build up energy in my hands. And I decided on the spur of the moment to just do that and build up some energy and then went over to um, one of the plants that was just off the path where I was walking and just held my hands right within like an inch or two of those leaves. And, oh, my God, you would not believe how much energy was coming into my arms and into my body. Oh, my goodness. That's so awesome. I mean, that's how powerful this environment was. So, you know, I I mentioned that because it it was just a, a phenomenal way to shift my energy and simultaneously tied into what you were talking about earlier. I was asking myself questions about stuff that was giving me a hard time. I was probing those negative emotions, probing those negative experiences that were going on inside me. And Mm -hmm. in the process of doing that in this high energy environment, I was amazed how fast I just dissolved them, how fast I just moved through them. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Because my guess is that 
you were because this is what we were talking about off off the air is that you were probing and questioning and examining and getting curious about those uncomfortable emotions without judgment. Right. Right. Without judging that they're bad. Oh, absolutely. You, yeah. you terrible emotion. Why are you hanging <laughs> around? It's like, no, it's like, okay, I recognize you. I see you. I'm feeling you. And what is this about with, with no judgment? And then to have, you know, plus you were in a beautiful environment with all of that, positive energy happening that's just what a great experience and a a couple of those so-called negative emotional things had actually embedded in my body i was feeling actual pain in my abdomen until Mm. i started doing that the pain went away in about five minutes it Uh took it took five minutes of probing for the pain to just disappear completely and uh well not just probing but also redirecting my attention to where I perceive my inner being to be connected to me. I, I kind of think like, you know, the center of the chest, solar plexus, heart area. And that combination knocked it out in five minutes. I couldn't believe how fast that went. That's amazing. It's funny. It's another synchronicity for me to hear you talk about that because I've had this conversation earlier today, uh, once or twice, about pain in the body being related to something emotional. Oh, really? And that many times when we begin to probe, get curious, uh, recognize, acknowledge, validate the emotion. Um, and, and with a curiosity that's asking our body and our emotions, like, what are you saying to me? What, what, what am I not getting? What do I need to hear? Uh, that oftentimes the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny to hear you talk about this. I know <laughs> we haven't talked about this and I've just been having the conversation with someone else. It really is true. So lots of, Lots of synchronicities uh, this morning when we were going through Neville and we were talking about um, the way our right brain gets curious, the way our left brain gets very logical. And you had made a comment about, uh, but what about our heart? Mm. And it got me to thinking about um, heart math. Do you know of heart math and the work they do? I have heard of it. I really couldn't tell you anything about it. So please enlighten all of us. Well, heart math does a lot of like scientific work around heart and brain coherence. And I can't, I'm not an expert on it. I, it, it's heartmath.org is their website. It's totally worth going over and taking a look. But one thing that I did learn from them is something that I thought about it after the fact and thought I wish I would have shared it with you. (laughs) And you might know of this already, but it's a very quick technique for when we're in a place where we're experiencing uh, emotions that are uncomfortable. Okay. To bring our brain and heart coherence back. And it's so easy that every time I think about it, it's like I want to do the the forehead slap. You know, like, why don't I (laughs) do this every day? And it's very simple. Um, as a matter of fact, it takes like 60 seconds and I could just lead us through the yeah. process. Right oh, now. do it. Please do. Absolutely. Okay. So, so what you do is it's two steps. The first thing is that you bring your attention to the area around your heart, your physical heart in the center of the chest, which you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Bring your attention there and you start to breathe in and out and you imagine that you're breathing in and out through your heart area. 
and you breathe just a little slower maybe than you had been previously because we're usually either holding our breath or breathing quickly. <laughs> but so you breathe in and out and you do this just for a moment until you have a kind of natural rhythm to your breath, just in and out through the heart area. And then you do step two while you're doing that. And that is you think of something that will bring you uh, an elevated emotion. So let's say you think about someone that you really love. You think about something that makes you very happy. Maybe for you, just thinking right now of your experience with the trees and the energy in your hands and that experience. Uh, you just think about that as you breathe in and out through the area of your heart. I always like to think of my little puppy who I loved so much hmm. and brought me so much joy. Oh, I can't even talk about her without smiling. So I think about <laughs> that. Um, and that's it. And this brings you back to coherence. And they've actually measured this. As a matter of fact, no they kidding. have a little device you can actually buy oh, wow. and put your thumb on it. And it will tell you if you're in coherence or not. Wow. And so, yeah. <laughs> and their work is really, really amazing. Um, showing scientifically how everything is connected, how we're all connected. Beautiful, beautiful work that they do. And so the reason why this is so synchronous to me is that you were talking about this this morning in the middle of our Neville, talking about what, what about our heart? Mm -hmm. And so I went, I, I thought about this because I've used this with clients before, but it's been a long time since I've thought about it. I thought, you know, I need to, I need to go look that up again and start doing that again because it's mm. very powerful. Mm. When I did, I found something by someone who we were talking about this morning, which was Joe Dispenza. Oh, really? And it was a line. It might be in his new book, but, you know, Neville Goddard is very, he's a mystic and he's called a mystic. And when we get past this little section we've been in in the book, he tells a story in the short, uh, the search document that is very mystical it's it's a, like a vision he had it's like whoa okay so i'm thinking about that and where do i end up but joe dispenza saying science is the contemporary language of mysticism <laughs> science demystifies the mystical and i was like mind blown because this is just all so connected right? oh yeah very much so and it all it kind of all started when um, we were talking about in the beginning of Neville's book where he talks about assuming the feeling. So that's kind of where we left off at the end of chapter seven. Um, he says, the ideas and moods to which you constantly return define the state with which you are fused. And that really made an impact on me. The ideas and moods to which you constantly return. Because we, we've talked about pivoting, right? Mm -hmm. Aren't the, the ideas and moods which we constantly return to are often things we need to pivot from. Exactly. Yeah. Well, then our I'll, mind goes back to those things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the <laughs> ideas and, mo and moods are very often so habitual, we don't even recognize that they're habitual until we start trying to be mindful. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, I keep getting pulled back there. Exactly. So he says, therefore, train yourself to occupy more frequently the feeling of your wish fulfilled. This is creative magic. It is the way to work toward fusion with the desired state. If you would assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled more frequently, 
you would be a master of your fate. But unfortunately, you shut out your assumption for all but the occasional hour. Oh, it feels like he's scolding us, but I think I deserve it sometimes. <laughs> no, we don't deserve it, but I, but it's a good, it is a good point, though. I, I, right, I, I think it's valid, I guess I should say. Yeah. Practice making real to yourself the feeling of the wish fulfilled. After you've assumed the feeling of the wish fulfilled, do not close the experience as you would a book, but carry it around like a fragrant odor. Instead of being completely forgotten, let it remain in the atmosphere, communicating its influence automatically to your actions and reactions. A mood, often repeated, gains momentum that is hard to break or check. Mm-hmm. So be careful of the feelings you entertain. Habitual moods reveal the state with which you are fused. It is always possible to pass from thinking of the end you desire to realize to thinking from the end. But the crucial matter is thinking from the end. For thinking from means unification or fusion with the idea. Whereas in thinking of the end, there's always subject and object. The thinking individual and the thing thought. You must imagine yourself into the state of your wish fulfilled in your love for that state. And in so doing live and think from it and no more of it. You pass from thinking of to thinking from by centering your imagination in the feeling of the wish fulfilled. All of this talk about the feeling of the wish fulfilled and this is, it all just connects together with things that I was already looking at for this show today. Um, reminds me of the story that I told you I was trying to find mm-hmm. about the story of Joe Dispenza's teenage daughter. Right, right. So Joe Dispenza is, was a chiropractor and he's gotten very much into neuroscience and he's a big teacher of meditation and taught his children these things. And, there's a wonderful story about a manifestation that his teenage daughter created. Do you know the story I'm talking about? I do not know. So tell the story. Okay. So when she was, I guess, about 15, she had wanted to be in a music video. And she had manifested that. And the music video ended up being like a number one. And it was oh, a wow. big, you know, huge thing. And so her her dad... Her dad said, you know, he wanted to always teach his kids how to create their reality. And, and he focused on that. And so he's like, you know, watching her do this. And he said, so, you know, that was a pretty thing, big thing you created. He said, so what do you want to create next? Well, he tells this story that he would take her shopping for clothes and he would sit in the chair and she would go in and try things on and come out. And he would go, nope, nope. <laughs> okay yeah that one's okay yeah nope that one you know i don't know if it was what she was trying on or the price of what she was trying on but (laughs) so he so when he asked her what do you want to what do you want to create next she said dad i want to create an unlimited shopping trip ah so he said okay well i'll tell you this is how you're going to do it so he told her you know every morning first thing for her to Imagine to have a, you know, a meditation, imagining that it's a done deal that she's had this shopping trip. 
And I think I heard him say in one story where, where he told it that he would say, you know, in, see her in the morning after they'd both gotten up and both done their meditation and said, you know, did you shop today? Like, you know, oh no, well, get in there and do it. You know, it's like you said you wanted to create this. <laughs> I did, I did my meditation. Now you go do your thing. And so she's doing this every morning. Now I don't know for how long, but he told her, he said, when you get up from that chair, you cannot be the girl who wants to have a shopping trip. You must be the girl who's had the shopping trip. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me so much of Neville, right? He said, no, you can't think of it. You have to think from that place. You have to be that person that's already done it. So she's doing it. And there was a one place where he says in his story that she said, yeah, nope, I didn't, I didn't get there because that, that old person hasn't had the shopping trip yet. I have to be this new person that had the shopping trip and she just kept focusing. So he's on a trip or she's on a trip. She's away. He's in Seattle, I think. And she's away visiting her friend in California. And she calls him up and he's in a cab and he answers the phone. He said he couldn't tell if she was laughing or crying. Hmm. She was just like, Oh, dad. He says, what happened? Tell me what happened. She said she was with her friend in a store, in her favorite store in California. And there was a guy in the store, a man that recognized her friend and said, are you, and I can't remember the name, um, are you so-and-so's daughter? And she said, yes. And he said, you know, your dad has helped me so much in the past six months, and I've been trying to figure out a way to repay him. And I just had an idea. This is what I'm going to do. He gives the cashier his credit card and says, just go to town. <laughs> you girls, you girls have fun today. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so he said, he says that the taxi has gotten him to his place and he's pulled over and he says, okay, tell me how much. <laughs> and she says, dad, I spent $7,500. <laughs> And he said that he asked her, do you feel guilty? And she said, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, good. He said, I always taught, I've always tried to tell my kids not to feel guilty, you know, about creating something amazing. And I couldn't help but think as I read through this Neville, all of the Neville encouraging us to center our imagination in the feeling of the wish fulfilled fulfilled done Mm. and what was the chapter creation is finished yeah and so i thought that story was like the perfect example it is of this it really is that thing and this is so funny to me that to hear him say today science is the contemporary language of mysticism Mm. because neville is so mystical and there's no science going on really and then we look at this other person's whole, you know, business and mission. And it's very centered around science. Like they measure everything. Even in his uh, seminars, I hear they measure, they're measuring brainwaves of people and all of this stuff because right. he said, I want to be able to measure it because then, you know, it, it's real. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing about uh, him. He is, he is very much the scientist. I mean, yes, he is a spiritualist, but he is a scientist. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a chiropractor, and the science is very important to him. When you read his books, it's pretty obvious. Any of his books, 
make it very clear that science is big with him. So it, it, it fits. So I think it's really, really cool how we see um, on the one end, Neville that we've been reading is into, I mean, he's been called a mystic. Mm. And then we go over here and we see this scientist and they're both showing us the same thing. Same and they're thing. both saying the same thing and they're both showing us the same kind of results. It's fun too, to, to see the early stages of the two realms starting to come together. I mean, it's got a ways to go, but it is happening and it's happening during our lifetime, which is fun. That's fun just to even watch it, you know? Yeah, it was funny. I, I actually, uh, had started to watch a, a YouTube video that was a, a Joe Dispenza, uh, interview. Mm-hmm. But I got called away and it was still going in here. So I was kind of doing some other thing and I came back in. I just let it play. I thought, you know, if I hear a little bit of it here and there, that's, that'll be good too. Mm-hmm. And I walk in the room and he says something. Now I don't know what context this was in. But I, I paused it. I said, what? He said, we're not punished for our sins. We're punished by our sins. Sin is an attitude. (laughs) And all of this talk that we've been reading with Neville saying that sin is missing the mark. Right. (laughs) I was like, oh my goodness, my worlds are colliding. (laughs) Yeah. You merge them together and what do you get? Yeah. (laughs) Basically you get the, the, the experience that anyone has who, Misses the mark. It's like, oh, geez, I missed the mark again. That's punishment. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing. So I thought we'd, we, we've, we can do chapter eight and that's the end of awakened imagination. And it's very, very short and it's mostly, I mean, I'll just read through it. It sounds to me like, I don't know, what's the opposite of an introduction? <laughs> A conclusion? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's kind of just like, it's called the apple of God's eye. Okay. And he says, what think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? When this question is asked of you, let your answer be, Christ is my imagination. And though I see not yet all things put under him, yet I know that I am Mary from whom sooner or later he shall be born and eventually <laughs> do all things through Christ. So heavy, heavy through- metaphor there. Big metaphor yes. going on. Yes. The birth of Christ is the awakening of the inner or second man. It is becoming conscious of the mental activity within oneself, which activity continues whether we are conscious of it or not. The birth of Christ does not bring any person from a distance or make anything to be that was not there before. It is the unveiling of the Son of God in man. The Lord cometh in clouds is the prophet's description of the pulsating rings of golden liquid light on the head of him in whom he awakes. The coming is from within and not from without as Christ is in us. This great mystery, God manifest in the flesh begins with Advent and it is appropriate that the cleansing of the temple, which temple you are stands in the forefront of the Christian mysteries. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Advent is unveiling the mystery of your being. If you will practice the art of revision by a life lived according to the wise, imaginative use of your inner speech and inner actions in confidence that the conscious use of power that works in us, Christ will awaken you. If you believe it, trust it, act upon it, Christ will awake in you. This is Advent. Great is the mystery. 
God was manifest in the flesh. From Advent on, he that touches you touches the apple of God's eye. (laughs) Heavy duty metaphor. That's very, very, very heavy duty metaphors in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's very encouraging to me when I really understand what he's saying. Um, I think this is not as easy for everyone, maybe depending on what your own personal, uh, religious or spiritual beliefs are. But this is a person basically telling you that you are God and that you have the power to create whatever you want. Well, plus it also helps if you have Cindy's Joe DePenza um, decoder ring. Or not Joe DePenza. My, um, my Neville, Neville, Neville Goddard ring. De- yeah, decoder <laughs> ring. Because when, when you can decode what the language stands for, then it starts to make more sense. When you read right. it on the surface, it's almost gibberish. <laughs> I mean, it isn't, but it almost is. But when you understand well, what he's saying, it starts to make some sense in a big way. Yeah, it's kind of like, what in the world? Mm. And so... This book is actually put together with this other, it's not really a book. It's like an essay. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely have enough time to read it, but it is very esoteric. But it also was really powerful in my experience to read it. So I think to be complete, we'll go ahead. How do you feel about that? This is the story called The Search. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do The Search. So Neville says he dedicates it to Victoria. The Fulfillment of a Dream. Once in an idle interval at sea, I meditated on the perfect state and wondered what I would be were I of too pure eyes to behold iniquity. If to me all things were pure and were I without condemnation. As I became lost in this fiery brooding, I found myself lifted above the dark environment of the senses. So intense was the feeling. I felt myself a being of fire dwelling in a body of air. Voices as from a heavenly chorus with the exaltation of those who had been conquerors in a conflict with death were singing. He is risen. He is risen. And intuitively, I knew they meant me. (laughs) Wow. Then I seemed to be walking at night. I soon came upon a scene that might have been the ancient pool of Bethesda, for in this place lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting not for the moving of the water as of tradition, but waiting for me. As I came near, without thought or effort on my part, they were, one after the other, molded as by the magician of the beautiful eyes hands feet all missing members were drawn from some invisible reservoir and molded in harmony with that perfection which i felt springing within me when all were made perfect the chorus exalted it is finished and then the scene dissolved and i awoke i know this vision was the result of my intense meditation upon the idea of perfection for my meditations invariably bring about union with the state contemplated. I had been so completely absorbed within the idea that for a while I had become what I contemplated and the high purpose with which I had for that moment identified myself, drew the companionship of high things and fashioned the vision in harmony with my inner nature. The ideal with which we are united 
works by association of ideas to awaken a thousand moods to create a drama in keeping with the central idea. I first discovered this close relationship of moods to vision when I was aged about seven. I became aware of a mysterious life quickening within me like a stormy ocean of frightening night, frightening might. I always knew when I would be united with this hidden identity, for my senses were expectant on the nights of these visitations, and I knew beyond all doubt that before morning I would be alone with immensity. So I dreaded these visitations, that I would lie awake until my eyes from sheer exhaustion closed. As my eyes closed in sleep, I was no longer solitary, but smitten through and through with another being, and yet I knew it to be myself. It seemed older than life, yet nearer to me than my boyhood. If I tell what I discovered on these nights, I do so not to impose my ideas on others, but that I may give hope to those who seek the law of life. I discovered that my expectant mood worked as a magnet to unite me with this greater me, while my fears made it appear as a stormy sea. As a boy, I conceived of this mysterious self as might, and in my union with it, I felt its majesty as a stormy sea which drenched me and then rolled and tossed me as a helpless wave. As a man, I conceived of it as love, and myself the son of it, and in my union with it now, what a love enfolds me. It's a mirror to all. Whatever we conceive it as being, that it is to us. I believe it to be the center through which all the threads of the universe are drawn. Therefore, I've altered my values and changed my ideas so that they now depend upon and are in harmony with this sole cause of all that is. It is to me that changeless reality which fashions circumstances in harmony with our concepts of ourselves. My mystical experiences have convinced me that there is no way to bring about the outer perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. As soon as we succeed in transforming ourselves, the world will melt magically before our eyes and reshape itself in harmony with that which our transformation affirms. Two other visions I will tell because they bear out the truth of my assertion that we, by intensity of love and hate, become what we contemplate. Once with closed eyes made radiant from brooding, I meditated on the eternal question, who am I? And felt myself gradually dissolve into a shoreless sea of vibrant light, imagination passing beyond all fear of death. In this state, nothing existed but myself, a boundless ocean of liquid light. Never have I felt more intimate with being. How long this experience lasted, I do not know. But my return to earth was accompanied by a distinct feeling of crystallizing again into human shape. At another time, I lay on my bed and with my eyes shut as in sleep, I brooded on the mystery of Buddha. In a little while, the dark caverns of my brain began to grow luminous. I seemed to be surrounded by luminous clouds which emanated from my head as fiery, pulsating rings. I saw nothing but these luminous rings for a time, and then there appeared before my eyes a rock of quartz crystal. While I gazed upon it, the crystal broke into pieces 
which invisible hands quickly shaped into the living Buddha. As I looked on this meditative figure, I saw that it was myself. I was the living Buddha, which I contemplated. A light like the sun glowed from this living image of myself with increasing intensity until it exploded. And then the light gradually faded, and once more I was back within the blackness of my room. Out of what sphere or treasury of design came this being mightier than human, his garments, the crystal, the light? If I saw, heard, and moved in a world of real beings when I seemed to myself to be walking in the night, when the lame, the halt, the blind were transformed in harmony with my inner nature, then I'm justified in assuming that I have a more subtle body than the physical, a body that can be detached from the physical and used in other spheres. For to see, to hear, to move are functions of an organism, however ethereal. If I brood over the alternative that my psychic experiences were self-begotten fantasy, no less am I moved to wonder at this mightier self who flashes on my mind a drama as real as those I experience when I'm fully awake. On these fiery meditations, I have entered again and again, and I know beyond all doubt that both assumptions are true. Housed within this form of earth is a body attuned to a world of light. And I have, by intense meditation, lifted it as with a magnet through the skull of this dark house of flesh. The first time I awoke the fires within me, I thought my head would explode. There was an intense vibration at the base of my skull, and then sudden oblivion of all. Then I found myself clothed in a garment of light and attached by a silvery elastic cord to the slumbering body on the bed. So exalted were my feelings. I felt related to the stars. In this garment, I roamed spheres more familiar than earth, but found that on earth, conditions were molded in harmony with my nature. Self-begotten fantasy, I hear you say, no more so than the things of earth. I am an immortal being conceiving myself as man and forming worlds in the likeness and image of my concept of self. What we imagine, that we are. By our imagination, we have created this dream of life, and by our imagination, we will re-enter that eternal world of light, becoming that which we were before we imagined the world. In the divine economy, nothing is lost. We cannot lose anything save by descent from the sphere where the thing has its natural life. There is no transforming power in death. And whether we are here or there, we fashion the world that surrounds us by the intensity of our imagination and feeling, and we illuminate or darken our lives by the concepts we hold of ourselves. Nothing is more important to us than our conception of ourselves, and especially is this true of our concept of the deep, hidden one within us. Those that help or hinder us, whether they know it or not, are the servants of that law which shapes outward circumstances in harmony with our inner nature. It is our conception of ourselves which frees or constrains us, though it may use material agencies to achieve its purpose. Because life molds the outer world to reflect the inner arrangement of our minds, there's no way of bringing about the outer perfection we seek other than by the transformation of ourselves. No help cometh from without. The hills to which we lift our eyes are those of an inner range. It is thus to our own consciousness that we must turn to as the only reality. 
the only foundation on which all phenomena can be explained. We can rely absolutely on the justice of this law to give us only that which is the nature of ourselves. To attempt to change the world before we change our concept of ourselves is to struggle against the nature of things. There can be no outer change until there is first an inner change. As within, so without. I am not advocating philosophical indifference when I suggest that we should imagine ourselves as already that which we want to be, living in a mental atmosphere of greatness, rather than using physical means and arguments to bring about the desired change. Everything we do, accompanied by a change of consciousness, is but futile or unaccompanied. Everything we do, unaccompanied (laughs) by a change of consciousness, is but futile readjustment of surfaces. However we toil or struggle, we can receive no more than our subconscious assumptions affirm. To protest against anything which happens to us is to protest against the law of our being and our rulership over our own destiny. The circumstances of my life are too closely related to my conception of myself not to have been launched by my own spirit from some magical storehouse of my being. If there is pain to me in these happenings, I should look within myself for the cause, for I moved here and there and made to live in a world in harmony with my concept of myself. Intense meditation brings about a union with the state contemplated, and during this union we see visions, have experiences, and behave in keeping with our change of consciousness. This shows us that a transformation of consciousness will result in a change of environment and behavior. However, our ordinary alterations of consciousness as we pass from one state to another are not transformations because each of them is so rapidly succeeded by another in the reverse direction. But whenever one state grows so stable as to definitely expel its rivals, then that central habitual state defines the character and is a true transformation. To say that we are transformed means that ideas previously peripheral in our consciousness now take a central place and form the habitual center of our energy. All wars prove that violent emotions are extremely potent in precipitating a mental rearrangement. Every great conflict has been followed by an era of materialism and greed in which the ideals for which the conflict ostensibly was waged are submerged. This is inevitable because war evokes hate, which impels a descent in consciousness from the plane of the ideal to the level where the conflict is waged. If we would become as emotionally aroused over our ideals as we become over our dislikes, we would ascend to the plane of our ideals as easily as we now descend to the level of our hates. Love and hate have a magical transforming power and we grow through their exercise into the likeness of what we contemplate. By intensity of hatred, we create in ourselves the character we imagine in our enemies. Qualities die for want of attention, so the unlovely states might best be rubbed out by imagining beauty for ashes and joy for mourning, rather than by direct attacks on the state from which we would be free. Whatsoever things are lovely and of good report, think on these things, for we become that, with which we are in rapport. rapport. There's nothing to change but our concept of self. 
Humanity is a single being in spite of its many forms and faces, and there is in it only such seeming separation as we find in our own being when we are dreaming. The pictures and circumstances we see in dreams are creations of our own imagination and have no existence save in ourselves. The same is true of the pictures and circumstances we see in this dream of life. They reveal our concepts of ourselves. As soon as we succeed in transforming self, our world will dissolve and reshape itself in harmony with that which our change affirms. The universe we study with such care is a dream, and we the dreamers of the dream, eternal dreamers, dreaming non-eternal dreams. One day, like Nebuchadnezzar, we shall awaken from the dream, from the nightmare in which we fought with demons, to find that we never really left our eternal home, that we were never born, and have never died, save in our dream. <laughs> very metaphorical, very heavy stuff, and and very much in in keeping and in uh, similar vibration, if you will, with what we're taught by quantum physicists. I mean, right? <laughs> that's, it's amazing. It's both um, at the same time. And I'm reading on the screen, so I don't have things highlighted. But as I was going through, I was. A couple of things that were really standing out to me that now I, I hope I can find. I'm curious if there was something specific that stood out to you. Well, there were a lot of things, but but there was one phrase I did highlight because I was looking at the screen like you. and So I highlighted one line with my mouth so I could keep it because I just wanted to add one little thing to it. It says, no help cometh from without. I just wanted to add, except from LOA today. But other than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting, um, I'm looking for it quickly. I wonder if I can do, let's see. There we go. Um, there is a scripture that is from the Psalms, I believe, that says, I lift my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. And he does not quote that scripture, but he says, no help cometh from without. The hills to which we lift our eyes are those of an inner range. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, there's, so, also, there's also one other thing that stands out in this, and it stands out because whoever posted this information from Neville on this website that we've been reading from, we've been reading from the website, uh, Awakened Imagination and the Search.org. Mm -hmm. Whoever put this page together three times used a little background color to highlight the same phrase, and that phrase is inner nature. So twice it's in yellow, once it's in orange. Very clearly the person who posted this said, inner nature, that's the key concept. Well, you know, what's interesting is that I'm on the same, I'm looking at the same uh, text as you are, and I don't see any highlighting anywhere. Really? Mm-mm. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the universe has given you a nudge. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't see it. Inner nature. Okay, now this is weird. I just refreshed the page. It went away. <laughs> the thing I think is so wonderful is that about this vision, um, and it is very mystical, but like you said, so many things in here are the things that we're now being proved to us by science. Yes. And that, I think, is pretty pretty amazing. Well, you were talking earlier about, uh, what, what was the name of the uh, the website or the institute or whatever it was? HeartMath. 
Heart Math, right. Yeah, Heart Math. H E A R T M A T H. HeartMath.org, I guess it was. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that Heart Math Institute basically reaffirming the, the superiority and, and superior importance of what's within. That the, right. the, the connectivity between the heart and the mind is in their minds, in their presentation, indisputable and is essential to understanding the nature of man. Yeah, where he talks about, um, as a boy, how these visions felt frightening to him. Mm -hmm. And then he says, as a man, I conceived of it as love. (laughs) And it made me smile because, like I told you, I've been um, looking and reading Joe Dispenza, and I hear him talking about this same thing. Um, in other words, saying that the further he gets into this work, the further he gets into the work of discovering scientifically, like measuring, you know, brain waves and measuring heartbeats and like all the things that they're correlating, um, that his concept of love of everything being connected and connected in a field of love is what keeps standing out. It's what Mm -hmm. I keep hearing. And then I, and then I see Neville say, um, by intensity of love. Right. And so it's, and the heart math, (laughs) he says, I mean, Neville says love and hate have a magical transforming power. Yeah. In fact, he actually says something that, uh, is a reaffirmation of what Abraham says. Uh, where is it? If there, if there is pain to me in these happenings, I should look within myself for the cause. Right. And we talked about that earlier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> about so often when our body, you know, I, our, I believe that our higher, wiser self, uh, uses our body and our emotions to speak to us. That's the language that it uses. And so, uh, or, or at least part of it, uh, some of us hear phrases or have visions or, I mean, there's lots of different ways we can get a message from our inner higher, wiser self that our emotions are a big way that happens. I mean, that's like the bulk of Abraham's teachings Right, is that we need to pay attention to our emotional GPS. Yes, exactly. And so when, when Neville says love and hate, um, because those are very extreme, I, I think of those two words as being extreme. Um, and we know that the more powerful our emotions are, the more effect they have on whatever is we're creating. I don't know if I said that right, but. No, I think you said um, it right. Uh, and, and in fact, I think the interesting thing about the dichotomy of, of love and hate is we, we usually think of them as opposites and they are opposites in a very key way. Because I like to think of love in terms of source energy. To me, love is source energy flowing. So if love is source energy flowing, then hate is source energy stopped up and not moving anywhere. Just blocked out entirely. Completely 100% resisted. So it truly is an opposite. Yeah. And it's interesting that you were talking about earlier um, that your that you when you were telling the story about your walk, you mentioned that uh, the place in your body where you perceive 
your higher self or your wiser self or your inner being, uh, I think you might have said inner being, is around the area of your heart and your solar plexus. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's exactly what we keep seeing here is all these things being connected with love, with us being connected with our with our inner self and our thought life having the power to create. And then even to the science part with heart math, yeah. talking about our actual heart, our actual beating heart, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Having something to do with all of this. It makes sense, really. Uh, I mean, for the longest time, I didn't know that I even had any kind of, we'll call them spiritual connection and didn't, didn't believe in it, didn't recognize it or anything. But when I started to buy into some of these ideas, particularly through what Abraham teaches, I was looking, I was looking kind of where inside is this going on? And I realized that spot, that place at the heart, solar plexus, you know, the middle of the chest area, that spot is where I had also always associated that there was, I felt there was something there. And I kind of thought it was, well, it was just the heart, you know, something like that. But that's when I began to realize, no, that's where my connection is. And when I realized that's where my connection is, then, yeah, all the stuff fits together now because I have that physical sensation, that feeling of, of the connection being right in that spot of my body. And then I hear all these things, everything from, like, heart math to um, Neville to Abraham to everybody else all connecting the same thing together. It, it just yeah. hangs. It hangs together perfectly. And it's funny as well is that that's where I generally – if I have to describe where I feel resistance, I feel it there. Do you really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, yeah. I feel I feel it in the same spot, like a, a tightening or a constriction of that area. So I'm sure there are a lot of things that play into all of this, right? Mm. It's 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 very complex and layered, but the easy part and the non-complicated part to remember is that if we will assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled, we're on the way. (laughs) And that is the phrase that you first brought to me and brought to us, assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. And I remember the first time that you said it, it made total sense because I could tell that's just pure law of attraction right there. How, yeah. how do you become a deliberate creator? You assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. So, yeah, thanks for bringing Neville to us. Thanks for uh, guiding us through this book because uh, I'm not sure I could have done it myself. Your 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 what? your knowledge of uh, your previous experience with him and your knowledge and of, of Neville and of the other uh, religious traditions that you've studied and so forth really came to the fore because you cleared some stuff up that I would have said what. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we did it together. There were a number of times when I, when I also was like, uh, well, tell me what you think about this. Because, All right. Yeah, we, we had to break out our, our Neville Goddard decoder rings, Absolutely. but happy to do so. Yeah. And uh, that reminds me, too, uh, because you are so, so good at this stuff and you're a terrific coach, um, give people an idea of how they can reach out to you if they need a little more personal attention. Maybe they need to know Neville better. I would love to have you reach out to me. You can find me online at cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com. And I'd love to have you reach out whether or not you need coaching. Just reach out and say hello. That would be awesome. Excellent. Well, once again, I have to sadly say I won't be talking to you again for another six days, but I look forward to it. As always, (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be talking to you then. I'll be back next Tuesday morning. And we hope that you'll join us as well next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.